Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the eighth episode of URT Number, the Amazing Race 32 recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Hampstone, and joining me as always is a Canadian who loves art and crafts almost as much as he loves slide puzzles, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the lady who we would describe as super spicy, Michelle Pierce-Denovan. <laughs> wow, it's not about my children. Good morning. For once, it's not about your children, mainly because I couldn't think of a good joke about your children in this episode. <laughs> because I will be honest... I was really struggling with both your intros and the banner this week. (laughs) (laughs) But the good news is, me searching through the episode to find a banner did make me find something else, (laughs) which we'll get to soon. So previously, six teams flew to India's Cyber City, Hyderabad, for the 23rd ever double-length leg on The Amazing Race. After they fell behind at a smog test active route info, Kaylin and Haley were yielded by James and Will to preserve the Mine 5 Alliance. Their pretty poo-poo day continued when Riley and Madison yielded them again right before the end. Before Riley and Madison won the leg, Kaylin and Haley's nine lives ran out after eight legs, and they went home. Now obviously, I wrote that, ignoring what Phil was actually saying, because the previously on was not about last episode, really. No, it's just, there's a Mine 5 coming up. The Mine 5 is no longer... And seen as though Michelle loved me doing it last week, how many times was the word alliance said this episode? Oh god, I don't know. I should just count stuff, shouldn't I? It wasn't as many as Mega like last week, I'll be honest. Let's say 13. <laughs> I'll go higher. It's not play your cards right, or card sharks, or whatever America calls it. Just give me a number. Oh, okay, 16. It's 10. Oh. And all of them come basically within the first five minutes. I think there's only actually one after the first five minutes. But uh, Phil says it three times, James says it three times, Riley says it twice, D'Angelo says it once, and Madison says it once. See, Michelle, we're already through one of my six notes. <laughs> well, each one apart, I didn't say it, because apparently I found out during uh, the racer's recap, because Aparna was in the chat room for it, uh, she said that the... She said that the and her, from her perspective, the mind five ended after the second leg. She didn't know that was still a thing after that. So for all the people who were on Twitter and Reddit and were saying, hmm, Ishwar and Aparna don't really seem to ever really be a part of the mind five alliance. I guess it's because they weren't really a part of it after the second leg and weren't even aware of their own membership for the next eight rounds after it. This is what I mean when I talk about how misrepresentative the editing is this season. Like, they made the Mind 5 Alliance, in inverted commas, the big storyline, and it turns out that only four-fifths of that alliance were even really aware of that alliance's existence. Well, the others actually talked about Apana and Ishwa being in the alliance, regardless. Yeah, that's the weird part, too, is that they say in the confessionals, it's maybe it's not so much that they were actively helping Ishwa and Aparna after Leg 2, it's just that they weren't going to do anything to hurt them after Leg 2. Yeah. yeah. And also talking about production editorializing, Phil's recap, as I mentioned, was nothing really about the last leg. It was more making it sound like the Mind 5 Alliance actually dominated the entire season, taking out Leo and Alana with a U turn and Kaylin and Haley with a yield, which we know full well is nonsense. Considering they would have been eliminated anyway. Yeah, because both of those teams were not eliminated as a result of their yield, they were eliminated as a result of messing up on one of the early tasks in their leg. The yields, respectively, made no difference. However, you could argue that because no one was willing to help them at any point, (laughs) that that kind of hurt them too. Considering you have this mega alliance that was helping each other with everything, with tying their shoes, what clothes to wear, what to eat... They're all deciding that together, and Lena Lana and Caitlin Haley were just left on their own. And weirdly, I've already started actually kind of writing my notes for the finale of topics I actually want to talk about, but one of them is going to come up here, because my main issue with this season is it just feels very predictable. I didn't know Ishwar and Aparna went home this week when I spoke about it last week, but I was not shocked that Ishwar and Aparna went home as a result of this leg, because they seem like the team in the Mine 5 with the least impetus to win from what we'd seen obviously this episode kind of proved that that was a wrong impression but they felt like the only one of the mind five who didn't have any fire under them 
Well, not not only are they the only team to not win a leg, but they're the only team to not even have a top three finish. In fact, they only have they're high. They only had one leg where they finished higher than fifth all season long. They only had one fourth place finish. Everything else was fifth or lower, I believe. And it's not just this season. I mean, we know by watching this show so many times that you can sort of predict which team could go out next. And so I don't think it's just this series. We sort of knew that they would be have a high probability to go next. Yeah, the predictability point, though, extends to the intro when Riley and Madison leave the pit stop because they say if any of their sub-alliance gets the double U-turn first, which they're expecting this leg, Gary and D'Angelo are toast. There's two people who, when they leave the U-turn board, talk about the roadblock having to be next and what they're going to expect of the roadblock. It just feels like they're able to predict stuff a bit too much. Like they were able to predict that a double U-turn was coming up and how to properly strategize for all contingencies? Yeah, exactly. They went into this leg, all of them basically expecting a double U-turn because they'd only seen one so far. Production had tipped them off in leg three that there was going to be two, and they didn't think that it was going to come at final four. So therefore, they went into this leg being relaxed about the existence of a double U-turn. And do you see the rule that... Because Natalie and Nadia have more or less broken the double U-turn for 11 seasons now, and production still hasn't found a way to really work around that or even acknowledge that the double U-turn is a broken twist, but people are, th- are we're actually on social media saying, we can, we can solve this quite easily, and one of the quickest solutions, if it's not a blind U-turn, of not a blind double U-turn, I should say, is uh, if you see, if it shows up who used the first U-turn slot, you can't you can't U-turn that, that first team because you know they're guaranteed that they're ahead. But that's boring. <laughs> For all my hatred of Amazing Race 21, given it's only just come out of the bottom five of my seasons, for all of my hatred of that season, Natalie and Nadia breaking the double U-turn is probably the highlight of the season for me. It was amazing. And I will wholeheartedly defend that move, and they should not be trying to legislate against it, because it was brilliant television. But is it brilliant television when you have these alliances that know to do that and keep abusing it so that one team almost always gets super screwed by a double U-turn now? In theory, it's brilliant television. In practice on this season, because of the stranglehold that the Mine 5 Alliance and the Paris 3, or whatever we're calling them, have over the season, it doesn't make compelling television. But you can't legislate against something just because one incident didn't go the way you liked it to. Well, you know what I was thinking about last night is that we all agree that the head-to-head is pretty much one of, if not the worst, twists they've ever had on Amazing Race, with the way they design it by having it right at the pit stop. And I was thinking last night, the one season where people would probably endorse the head-to-head and would break the monotony of what's going on is if they had it this season. This is the only time where the head-to-head could actually shake up the game. Yeah. It could, but... (laughs) But it might not. (laughs) Take the Columbia Lake, for example. Kelly and Levon went home because of a bad taxi. Imagine if there was a head-to-head to save them. Yeah. It would have ended up being Jerry and Frank going home then, probably because Jerry was old, or Kaylin and Haley, and we would have lost the amazing storyline of Kaylin and Haley this season. But just imagine, yeah, just imagine, say, in Kazakhstan with Leon and Alana going home, if suddenly, oh, now it's, now it's say, James and Will get, get there in first or second or whatever it was, and then James just absolutely chokes at the head-to-head, and somehow James and Will go home in Kazakhstan. Just funny little things like that, where somebody from the core alliance just absolutely chokes at a head-to-head and completely shakes up the game. Yeah, there was no opportunity for the game to be shaken up this season as a result of the stranglehold and the lack of of double battles. I would still argue that the double battle should never be right before a pit stop, but, I mean, as you said, it, it might have actually shaking things up a little bit this season yeah it's just funny that this is the we absolutely hate that twist but i'm thinking we would still hate the twist if it appeared this season but it would have a pretty good shot of shaking up the game say if the roadblock if the roadblock was a head-to-head and it's like the first one who can make the tile and do the slide puzzle advances 
Daring D'Angelo go home, and Ishwar and Aparna somehow survive. Yeah, and Aparna is fired up. Yeah, going into the next leg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the good thing is, the next bit is the bit I'm going to be potentially most ranty about, because Riley and Madison leave at 3.25pm, James and Will leave at 3.42, Gary and D'Angelo at 3.58, Hung and Chi at 4.26, and Aparna and Ishwar at 4.52pm. And they are flying to Siem Reap in Cambodia, once there, they need to find a roaming gnome at an unnamed market on a tuk-tuk, along with their next clue and some supplies for the leg, and they are all on the same flight. Here's where Michelle ticks off the word on the bingo. Now. <laughs> Those start times were nonsense. Because if you cast your mind back to last week, I did actually mention what time sunset was in Hyderabad at that time of the year. Hung and Chi and Aparna and Ishwar both left in total darkness, yet... Their start times were allegedly at least 75 minutes before sunset at that time of year. Because Hung and Chi left at 4.26pm, sunset wasn't until 5.39pm, and it was pitch black. Hmm, they must have done it for a reason. Why? As much as I hate when they don't give us start times, it's worse when they give us fake start times. (laughs) (laughs) 7.30am. Who cares? <laughs> you could potentially sell it with every team that departs before Hung and Chi, but you cannot tell me that those start times were anything other than bollocks. Amazing Race Asia loved to do that too. It happened a couple times with Amazing Race Asia. I can't remember if it was season two or three, but they show and say they would show it on the bottom and say, This team departed at five ten PM and they'd get to the airport and somehow they would make a four thirty PM flight. The thing is, I'm not confident that the teams before Hung and Chi actually departed at those times either, because I only noticed this when I was going back to find our banner and actually try and work out what the hell the banner was going to be this week. But James and Will's taxi showed a time of 5.28pm on the way to the airport, and I have a feeling that it wasn't that far to the airport. Gary and D'Angelo said 6pm when they were driving away from the pit start. So there is not a chance in hell that those start times are actually accurate. They were being generous at least 75 minutes out, and that's assuming that Hung and Chi departed at sunset, and they didn't. So the natural question to ask is, why? <laughs> but to add to that, as someone pointed out on Reddit, Hung and Chi and Aparna and Ishwa had a foot race to the mat last week, and they departed 26 minutes apart in this leg. Mm. There must have been some sort of unaired penalty? Mm. There's got to have been a penalty, and there's got to have been a production time credit of some description, but I'm not sure what on earth happened here. But yeah, because yeah, you go from a foot race to 26 minutes apart. <laughs> Genuinely, I would not have spotted this without the rewatch, but when I spotted it, I went, what on earth? Because it was only when we saw the taxi screens with the times on that I then worked backwards and went, no, that doesn't sound right. I know India traffic is bad, but it's not that bad to take two... Over two hours to get to the airport. <laughs> it's not Manila. Yeah, it, it's not that bad for it to take two hours for Gary and D'Angelo to find a taxi that definitely would have been waiting for them at the pit stop. Because Gary and D'Angelo departed at 3.58pm, and then by the time they got to the taxi, it was miraculously 6pm. Maybe they got really lost. I don't know what went on here, but there's some production meddling with these start times, and I just, I would have rather they just didn't show us start times. Rather than just blatantly lie to us. Yeah, then give us terrible wrong ones. It's just random.org, the start times. Uh, oh no, we lost the timestamps on our on our video, on our cameras. <laughs> Let's just throw something in there to make the fans happy. Hopefully they don't look too closely. <laughs> it's just so emblematic of my problems with the edit in this season is the fact that they just are trying to get away with things and I am spotting them at every turn. <laughs> I hate myself for spotting these things, but I can't help but spot them. See him and reap. Let's go. So, Riley and Madison confirm that Gary and D'Angelo are toast. When James and Will leave, James confirms that Gary and D'Angelo are number one on the hit list for a hypothetical double U-turn that leg, and Will's reaction is, oh god! But my highlight of the entire episode is Hung opening the clue, realising that they're going to get a roaming gnome, and then doing basically a hashtag spawn post for them. Hung selling Travelocity is brilliant. Did they say that they have their own roaming gnome and it has accessories? No, they said that their children love watching Amazing Race with them and their particular highlight is when the roaming gnome appears and he, and he's dressed up in different costumes. Right. Okay. I thought they had their own. No. They probably do now because they won a Travelocity trip earlier in the season, didn't they? I think they won a Travelocity trip on like two. So they, they will have a roaming gnome now as a result of that. 
Some people have garden gnomes in their front yard, and Hung and Cheese family has Travelocity roaming gnomes in their front yard. Mm. <laughs> and Apana and Ishwa say that they are the only team who haven't won a leg yet, and they wouldn't feel any regret using a U-turn. Awkward! So, we then cut to teams flying to Cambodia at 9.36am, <laughs> because they specifically put this on screen. And I happen to know that that was not Hyderabad's airport that was shown. What? Why? Because they were flying via Bangkok and they didn't actually put that on the map. I know for a fact they flew via Bangkok and I'm working on the assumption that that plane shot was not in Hyderabad, that was in Bangkok. Which means there was an overnight layover of some description probably in Bangkok that we then didn't see or get any indication of. Well, we don't need to see it. And it doesn't need to really have the flight going to Bangkok and then Hyderabad. Yes, it does. Not for the, not for the, you know, the layman's, the, the viewers. It would just confuse them. No, all, all they have to do is what they have done forever and a day, which is show them flying via Bangkok. For like a split second like they usually do. <laughs> In the same argument that I use for start times, there is absolutely nothing that they lose by showing us that they went via Bangkok. Phil doesn't even have to say it, it just has to be a dot on screen when they show the flight path. Exactly. They literally can just put it in the flight path and move on. But by showing us far more of it, by actually showing us the outside of the plane weirdly, and also them sitting down in the plane, it makes it look like there was a direct flight and there was not. Because if there was a direct flight, then those teams would have been waiting a long time to fly from Hyderabad. Like, assuming the start times were accurate, they would have been waiting at least 16 hours for that plane. Which obviously they weren't, because, you know, <laughs> it's new Amazing Race editing. Start times don't matter. It's like points, and whose line is it anyway? Well, if they're all on the same plane, it doesn't matter, really. Well, I know it matters to you, because you like the nitty-gritty and the details to be correct. Accuracy matters to me. That's all it is. I understand. As someone who has really low standards for Amazing Race now, all I ask is that they are accurate and truthful. And they've been neither of those things in this leg already. So, of course, it being Cambodia, we're introduced to Cambodia by people eating tarantulas, because there's literally nothing Amazing Race that can actually do about Cambodia anymore. And when teams get to the unnamed market, they have to help a driver attach their tuk-tuk to a motorbike and then travel with their gnome to Chong Kanis Pier, where they'll find the next clue. And, of course, there is nothing of note in this challenge. Isn't it an auto rickshaw? Or a trike? Not this argument again. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tuk-tuk, isn't it? Yeah, it's a tuk-tuk. Phil specifically <laughs> says it's a tuk-tuk, because that's what they call yeah. it in Cambodia. Because it's very close to Thailand, and they're called tuk-tuks there. So teams have to now travel to Chonkanese Village, off of Amazing Race Australia 3, as you may have spotted, Michelle, where they'll need to give an offering to a monk to get their next clue. I like how when... Hung is really wanting Chi to hurry up at a task. It sounds like she's stuttering because she's like, Chi, 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 Chi. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong? Is she a robot now? Is she about to explode all over the screen? Or a game that's frozen in <laughs> in a video game when you're doing one of those fighting games and you're doing one of those combos. Basically what you're saying is you expect her to turn around at the end and just scream Hadouken. Yeah. Hadouken. Oh, God. So, on the boat ride to Chonkanese Village, Riley and Madison practice their movements because they don't want to be insensitive. However, we're led to believe that this just causes their boat to stall. I don't understand. I don't think that is even possible for the boat to stall just because they're moving around. It's not possible for the boat to stall. It's just them adding any sort of intrigue into this horrifically predictable leg. <laughs> And my favourite thing is, it's not even their usual trick of an ad break cliffhanger. It starts like a minute later in the episode without any cut. We're going to get screwed. Hmm. Who says um, it's Waterworld? This is Waterworld. When they're driving there, I'm thinking, not really. I loved Waterworld. <laughs> I'm one of the few people in the world that actually loved the movie. And yet, weirdly, it's inexplicably popular at Universal Parks. Every single Universal Park I've been to has had a Waterworld show. And nobody mm. can remember the film Waterworld. I love the film. And the show's good. I love that. I saw it when I was overseas. Yeah, it's good. What's funny is they even made a Nintendo Virtual... There was only 13 games that Nintendo ever made for the Virtual Boy system. And for some reason, 
Waterworld, the video game, was one of the 13 that ever got released for that console. Interesting. Yeah, they had like 12 other games. There's Mario Tennis, there's a game by Atlas, and somehow Waterworld, the game, made it into that very, very, very limited collection of 13 games for the Virtual Boy. It's a niche thing. (laughs) It's a very niche thing. It's a niche thing on the nichest of niches consoles. (laughs) <laughs> I have a feeling that there was a Waterworld show at Universal in Singapore when I went there, which was a massive surprise, because there's basically no overlap between Singapore and the US parks. Yeah, I think that's where I saw it, actually. There is like one or two rides of overlap between Singapore and the US parks, and weirdly, Waterworld is one of them. It just works better as a ride than it does as a film? Well, it's not even a ride, it's a stage show. Oh, it's basically a diving show, from what I understand. It's like a stunt show, I think. Mm, it's like a stunt show. They've got flaming boats and things in it. Yeah. Anyway, back to Riley and Madison's one bit of intrigue in this episode. There is a heap of frankenbiting in this scene. Like, Riley and Madison are cut from probably four different confessionals in this scene. And it's super noticeable. Yeah, what was the, was it, James and Will at the pit stop had a ton of frankenbiting too? Hmm. Frankenbiting is a known thing, and I don't tend to point it out that much because, you know, usually it's just them telling us a narrative. But it's super noticeable and terribly done in this scene. Like, I am usually able to hear it because I tend to watch on pretty good headphones. But I think even the most casual of casual fans could have guessed that there was at least one or two Frankenbites in this scene. It's super jarring audibly. Well, Andy Denhart, the guy from Reality Blurred, he doesn't really watch that much Amazing Race, and I guess he's watching this season. He wrote a full article just about the Frankenbiting like a month ago for this season. I have been pointing it out when I really badly spot it, but there's there's a heap of Franken-editing in this scene. I think my other favourite one was when they used the it's not working! Clip from Will from the French Ramp in Berlin, again, literally the next episode, when they were meant to air on the same night. You know how they keep mentioning, I think, what is it, Berkeley that Aparna went to? She was saying in also the Races Recap chat room that she only mentioned it once on camera, and it's just that, and it was pre-season. So they're just re-showing that same pre-season confessional repeatedly for her. I think it was the same with Leo and Alana with uh, Leo going to Harvard. I think he only mentioned it pre-season once and they just kept dragging up Harvard every time. Yeah, it's very, very interesting choices because you think there's got to be something else in there that they record in those 10 episodes that would prevent something they casually said pre-season that doesn't need to be their defining trait or (laughs) storyline. And... In another one of my bugbears this season, only one team is allowed in the temple at a time, which then means that there is at one point four boats queuing to go into the temple. Yeah, what are they going to do in that situation? I know, it's it's too forced. But they're still doing an offering. It's a nice thing, Michael. It, they're, they're allowed to do a nice thing. Yeah, there's a difference between doing the nice thing and making good television as well. Oh, I don't care about good television when they're giving something to the monks who don't have anything. I'm fine with that. Sure, in past ones they did an orphanage and anyone could run in at the same time and do their offering, but it's it's a nice thing. It's okay. The thing that they seem to have forgotten is that this is a television show first and foremost and needs to actually be compelling. The, well, the first thing, early on in the leg you can have the ritual. They love to do that in the early seasons. It's just something I'm, I mentioned before with the um, with the Teledisco, where it adds nothing to the leg. It's not like for the rest of the leg they're all talking about how appreciative they are for the opportunity. It's just, yeah, we'll quickly do this, nobody fails it, let's move on. And they forget about it immediately. I wish it would just be the strangest things that they put into the basket to give to the monks, like, say, an Xbox 360 they pull out, maybe some ice cream that's about to melt... And then a box of condoms. That would have been that would have made my day. A signed brat pack single. But not <laughs> even the one you're thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just so confused. Who the hell is this? Just a bunch of stuff bunch of obscure Canadian American 
media personalities, autographed posters. Maybe an autographed David Hasselhoff poster is pulled out of the basket, too. Yeah, I get why they did this, but the problem is that they make such a big thing of teams potentially being able to fail and being sent to the back of the line, and it's like, nobody fails. It doesn't break any part of the episode. It doesn't have an impact on any part of the episode. It's just kind of, eh. They pull out a, a Playboy magazine, and then maybe, like, a box set for the TV show Friends, but no DVD player, so they can't watch it. Riley and Madison hand it over, and uh, the monk just goes, Oh, guys, this is used. <laughs> the, Friends, the Friends box set? That would be the worst. You need to just redo the whole scene and superimpose these things to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> just do it. <laughs> you assume we're all on Christmas holidays like you are now, Michelle. You're on Christmas holidays? I am, as of yesterday. Some of us are still working for another two weeks. It's my summer holiday, so I get seven weeks. Every school around me has COVID right now, Mm. and they're still sending people to school. That's insane about the schools. If we got one child with COVID in a school here, school would close down. These people in hazmat suits would go in and spray everything in sight. And then the school would reopen in two days. Like, it was insane. Did you hear about what happened here a few days ago? No. About why we have this mass? Yeah. So there's this massive spike where I live. It's ridiculous. Because they said, oh, we recommend that you do not, please do not travel out of the province for any sporting events. It's banned, but we're not really enforcing the ban. So sure enough, an over 40-year-old hockey team, I think, went to a hockey tournament in the neighboring province. Everyone on the team got infected, came back. People at their workplaces got infected. It got into one of the long-term care homes. And now it's just, now we're a hot spot for a few days now with way more cases than we've had the past 10 months. That is one of the rare hockey virus stories that doesn't involve Joey Cavino as well. (laughs) Usually if you told me that someone over 40 on a hockey team had spread the virus around, I would have guessed Cavino immediately. Yeah, he was spreading mono or something. So Hung and Chi are the first to leave the uh, the temple, and it's a detour which is fish off farm. And in fish, teams will haul a fishing net measuring more than half a mile long in, and then gather 15 kilos of fish to get their next clue. In farm, teams have to mix soil and, and plant produce to replicate a garden to get their next clue. And you know what is super interesting to watch is people gardening. <laughs> Way to plant, plant. <laughs> Can I? There was something really funny at the start, though. Hung and Chi changed details without actually going to the one that they initially chose. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Change number four. Yeah, Hung and Chi accidentally break the Michelle Pierce Denovan rule by switching details to farm because their boat driver just drove them there anyway because that's where he wanted to go. Maybe he knew deep down. He knew deep down Hung and Chi were going to switch. They must have been so relieved not to get U-turned purely because their boat driver would have had to take them to somewhere he had no idea where it was. So I take you to the garden again? I know Andy Dennart pointed this out as well, but it's pretty fun how the roaming gnome got more attention in this episode than Aparna and Ishwa did, and Aparna and Ishwa were the ones who went home. Well, it's potentially the final appearance for the roaming gnome, or rather in this, like, the floating gnome but uh, he might not be coming back. Um, That machine at the fish challenge, I kept waiting for it to tear someone's net. I don't know why I kept thinking that. I just, you know, nets are so fragile, and I thought, oh, someone's going to tear it, there's going to be an issue, but no, it was all smooth sailing. It was just very passive, this detail, because on one side you have gardening, which is, let's be honest, one of the most boring pastimes possible. And on the other hand, you have a net challenge, which promises to have teams actually tear nets and have to start again and stuff. And no, no, that happened. Nobody even struggled to get the fish. It just kind of smoothly sailed through. Remember in season four when they had the lobster trap challenge in Kota Kinabalu? There's suspense to that because, was it, Kelly just completely destroys her hand with the net. John Owl are very physically strained trying to pull up the net as well. <laughs> Here it's just... You don't really see, well, not to make a race pun, but not too many roadblocks in pulling up this net. In fact, I don't know if I have any notes about that task. Let me see. 
It's incredibly passive. The only other note that I have is that Will had a garden in middle school, and then he got busy and it died. And I said, and I, yeah, actually, this might be the fewest notes I've ever taken for a task. I don't have anything about the net task. I didn't write anything down, which is very rare for me. And I wasn't even eating or playing a video game in the background. <laughs> no, I don't think I've got any notes for the net task either. It's, it's one note on the gardening task, or two, two notes on the gardening task, and then that's it. Yeah, and then for the gardening task, I put, Will enjoys a plant, and Will and James outwit Gary and D'Angelo. I don't know what I was referring to there. Oh, maybe about the double U-turn plan? That was Riley and Madison. James and Will were really frustrated. Yeah. But I mean, prior to that, though, because I think Will and James and Riley and Madison both had the same plan for the double U-turn. And I don't have anything else. Yeah, those are my only notes for the whole detour. So James says he wants to make sure that them and Hunger G are first to the U-turn if one appears, and burn it so Gary and D'Angelo can't use it. And then Riley and Madison leave Nets in first, with Gary and D'Angelo in second. And then they get, quote-unquote, surprised with the final double U-turn of the season. However, Phil's U-turn intro is weirdly worded. So Phil would usually, in this case, say teams now have to head wherever, where they'll find the first or last double U-turn of the race. A U-turn is a chance to slow down one of your opposing teams by making them do the other side of the detour. He just says it really weird in this one. He calls it the second double U-turn rather than the last one given that we know that the rumour for next week isn't true anymore, thank God. That's a weird choice anyway, to say second rather than final. Then he explains what the U10 actually is, and then he editorialises, confirming no more non-eliminations, and saying two more legs, so it will be a game-changer. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. It's just really weirdly worded. I don't know why, but it's just really weirdly worded. Maybe just really trying to hype it up for the audience? It's a double U-turn. Anything can happen. Uh, Ishwar and Aparna may go home anyway. Gary and D'Angelo could go home. I could go home. There'll be a new host <laughs> next week. We don't know what's going to happen. So Riley and Madison say that they can't use and Gary and D'Angelo now because they're right behind them. Aparna and Ishwar are going to have to be used to save Hung and Chi and James and Will. And then Aparna and Ishwar leave Nets in third. Gary and D'Angelo are the first to find the U-turn board, though. They use and Aparna and Ishwar anyway to give themselves a buffer. And given that it is a very pretty U-turn board, I'm not going to criticize the art department however unlike normal it seems to be sticker based rather than actually hanging stuff on a board like they've gotten into the habit of gary was peeling off a uh, a u-turn sticker when they were using it okay imagine if it was self-adhesive maybe what they should have done is made it like a postage stamp where you just had to lick it yeah self itself yeah just lick it to put it onto the board <laughs> As if their mouths aren't dry enough from dehydration. <laughs> That's the real challenge is having enough moisture in your mouth to put the team's poster You've on. You've got to do it before another team is standing beside you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a race to lick. I did actually look up the um the weather for uh CM Reap when they were there. It was hundred percent humidity on the filming day. It was a very warm day for them. Sounds like Southeast Asia to me. Yeah, I have been in Southeast Asia when it was 100% humidity and it is not comfortable. It was like that when I was in Vietnam the first time. I think I'm the only person on the planet who likes humidity. How can you like humidity? I just do. I don't know. I just like, well, I, I absolutely hate, hate, hate being cold. But humidity, it's like, oh, it's kind of fun being this warm. Jesus, last weekend here, it was 40 or more. And it was dry. Thank God it was dry heat because I could cope with 40 and dry. But when it's humid, I'm like, I'm dying. I'll go for a run when it's like 38 or 39 degrees Celsius outside and it'll be a long run. People are always worried. It's like, aren't you going to just like pass out from heat stroke when you do that? You were born in the wrong country. Yeah, I was going to say it does sort of explain why you're moving to Manila. <laughs> <laughs> or just move out of Canada. I'll come back. Yeah, because my plan is... Hmm, if I end up moving to Southeast Asia or just outside of North America, I'll come back for May, June, July, and August, and then I'll take off again. Hmm. So teams have to now head back to the pier and go via their tuk-tuk driver to Camouflage Handicraft to receive their next clue. And then Riley and Madison decide to burn the U-turn to save their other two alliance mates. Oh dear. I hate to be this person. No, you don't. You love to be this person. 
<laughs> no, I really don't, because there's something following this U-turn that they very rarely do, and it's really lazy production. I don't know who thought it would be a good idea to interview the teams about the U-turn when they were on their boats on the way back, because you cannot hear a word that they are saying. <laughs> it is horrendous audio, especially Gary and D'Angelo, because they are right at the back of the boat near the motor. But it's a terrible idea to interview them on the boats. We decided to U-turn each for an partner to save ourselves. <laughs> you genuinely need subtitles for their their interview on the boat as to why they U-turned a partner in each world. They should have just done it post-pit stop, like they normally do. Maybe it was a really short pit stop. Maybe it was one of those four-hour ones. I don't think it was, knowing what the filming dates of these episodes are. I think it was at least a 36-hour pit stop after uh, after seeing Reap. Okay. So Aparna and Ishwar reach the board and realise that they have been screwed. Aparna is not best pleased, but on the plus side for us, they're finally getting an edit. And then Hung and Chi leave farm in third, and the judge has to tell them to plant the satchel seeds. And their reaction, as they are leaving the U-turn board, is, alright, let's see what this roadblock's about. <sighs> Goes back to my predictability point. James and Will leave farm in fourth. James gets annoyed at the U-turn board that Gary and D'Angelo beat them. And then we see the roadblock. And the roadblock hint is who thinks that they can fit the mould. In this roadblock, one team member must learn the process of making a pattern tile. Once they've completed their tile, they must unlock a chest using the key from the satchel on their gnome, fit the jigsaw pieces into the wooden frame, and then complete the slide puzzle, including putting their tile in at the end to get their next clue. And it is Riley, D'Angelo, Chi, Will, and Ishwar doing the roadblock. And I do have to bring this up. Logan and I both hate slide puzzles. I know how to do them now. I never used to know how to do them, so I hated them. And I had to do them for an org this year. So I actually learnt on YouTube how to do a slide puzzle. And oh my God, it is life-changing. I know how to do them now. When Logan and I did uh, JDL and Jen's ORG, we were basically both praying that we wouldn't be the person <laughs> to get a slide puzzle. And then Logan ended up getting it. And we had the express pass and used it within like 20 minutes, I think. I think I worked on it for about 20 minutes and said, Michael, I'm not going to get this. <laughs> it's honestly my favourite moment of the entire uh, the entire ORG was when the roadblock reveal happened. Logan saw it was a, a slide puzzle that went shit, and I just started cackling in our group chat. <laughs> but having said that, this one is only a nine-piece slide puzzle, which isn't that difficult. Yeah, we had to do, what was it for the ORG? Well, I didn't do it. <laughs> I, I, I tried it. <laughs> Your task was at least a 24-piece slide puzzle, I think. Might have been 30. Yeah, and you had to do it in... And that's how I lost uh, Carl Marquez's uh, Survivor ORG. Carl Marquez and Mervyn Sanding's ORG that they hosted. Survivor, the final immunity challenge of the game, where I'm known for being really good at challenges in any Survivor ORG. And then the final immunity challenge was a slide puzzle. And the funny thing is that none of the three of us were able to get it within the time limit. So the host said, whoever gets in the next 24 hours <laughs> wins immunity. Because we all just gave up on it because we had to do, I think it was another like 24 piece one or more. And it, you had to do it in 500 moves or less. And none of us could do it. And I remember just spending hours and hours trying to, like at a certain point like oh i like because i was trying to watch any tips i could it's like it's not working for me i'll get close and then it'll be oh nope now you're at 510 moves it's like damn it you know what i would have done in that situation i would have doctored the screenshot <laughs> yeah i think carl marquez is a bit too savvy to get fooled by that yeah no you can definitely get away with it trust me you should have taken a screenshot and asked me to amend it for you because i would have done it so D'Angelo doesn't watch the demonstration. Gary sits there saying he can't help him. And Riley and D'Angelo keep failing. Aparna and Nishwa leave farm in last. And Aparna says, hopefully it's a really long roadblock. Riley's the first to spot from the demonstration that you need to grease the sides, like baking a cake. And he makes his tile correctly after his eighth attempt. I need to point something out before you continue. When Nishwa and Aparna arrived in their tuk-tuk with the cameraman and the sound guy, the sound guy looked like he had been burnt to within an inch of his life. He had clothing over every inch of his body. Did you notice? It went up under his sunglasses, down to his hands. 
Oh my god. He just looked like he looked like a burn victim. <laughs> and I thought, well, he's just gone a little bit overboard there. I'm feeling it's a little bit overboard. So Will gets his tile after four attempts, and then Riley and Madison leave in first. And teams must now find Anchor Tom, the pit stop for this leg of the race. The last team to check in will be eliminated. And then James and Will leave in second. And Chi struggles. Hung says she has confidence that he will get it eventually. And Gary takes a power nap. <laughs> which is our banner. <laughs> Wasn't originally going to be our banner, because there is something coming up that I was trying desperately to screenshot, but couldn't get it to work properly. So, Riley and Madison check in in first, and they win a trip to Bergen, not Kurt. Ha, ha, boom tish. I've had the same joke in my notes, too. And then I saw <laughs> ten other people say it on Twitter. My favourite thing about it is the fact that Sven Derek commented on uh, on our banner post this evening on uh, on Instagram, saying, it's even better that they won a trip to Bergen, and I'm just like, not Kurt. And he did not get the joke. So that one's for you. And then James and Will checking in second, and then... Aparna and Ishwara arrive at the roadblock. And Aparna's greeting is, let's be honest, quite similar to Michelle's greeting when I've been on a rant about Amazing Grace, which is, oh, hey, fuck you. And D'Angelo just replies, whatever happened to sportsmanship? And if you ever doubted up to this point that Gary and D'Angelo were going to win this season, they're not winning this season <laughs> after that episode. <laughs> D'Angelo handled this so wrong. Hmm. Because the correct way to turn around is to pump them up, say they were a big threat, say, I'm not confident, we just wanted to give ourselves a buffer, we apologise wholeheartedly, not to turn around, say, whatever happened to sportsmanship, I don't care if you're happy or not, and then at the end, call her super spicy. <laughs> that is not the attitude that you win Amazing Race with. It would have been better if he was just really honest about it and said, you know what? We just want to guarantee your survival, and you guys are just the worst team that's left, really. You guys suck at every leg, so that's why we had to U-turn you. Yeah, appropriately for someone who used to be a professional wrestler, he had a proper heel turn in this leg. <laughs> you guys just really suck at the race. I mean, if I U-turn you, <laughs> hello, Final Four. Now, something really interesting that I noticed, because Chi is the next to work out what to do, but did you notice the music in Chi's scene of working out what to do and then creating his tile no uh, no there was something really interesting about it i am 99 percent sure that the music that they used was the traditional amazing race victory music when he worked out what to do with the tile i think it's the same music that brooke and scott ran to the finish line in chicago with oh, interesting i'd have to listen back it was really, really interesting because it's a very distinctive music cue and they only tend to use it for the first place team running into the, uh, to the finish line. But she got it at this point. He got it when he worked out the tile and had to work it out. Maybe someone stuffed up and didn't think about that and just, I don't know, put the wrong music in. That would surprise me for the editing this season, but I don't know whether it's just another subtle clue that Hung and Chi win. I don't know any spoilers or anything, but they are the only team I can see actually winning with the edits we've seen. I don't think they put that in the edit to point towards that because there's too many people like you that look at this sort of stuff. I don't think they do it on purpose. Anyway, I don't think they do it on purpose. As you said earlier in this episode, no one cares apart from me. No one's going to spot these things apart from me. No, there are other people spot other things, like the Bergen stuff, obviously. You know, people. Yeah, the, the Bergen stuff was an obvious joke and just uh, an excuse to mention how much I love Bergen. But. I haven't seen anyone else notice that he gets the traditional Amazing Race Victory music here. Mm. It's just very interesting, that's all I'm, I'm going to say. Like I said, I don't know whether they get through next week, I don't know whether they win. It just was a, hmm, that's interesting. And D'Angelo finally, after two hours, figures out he needs to crease his plates, and then Hunger Chi leaving third, D'Angelo gets his title, and then they leave in fourth. However, they lose their tuk-tuk driver. Hunger Chi checking in third... Ishwar gets his tile after four attempts, and they leave in last. However, the moment I was going to try and use as our banner but couldn't get it to work is when Ishwar gets approval for his tile, he looks like a competition winner. He holds it up to the camera and grins like he's just won a trophy. And it made me laugh. What I don't understand is that why would you be standing there doing it for two hours without actually going back and watching the whole thing again? I would probably try and do it maybe two or three times, become so damn frustrated, and then go and watch the whole thing again. 
I wouldn't do anything without watching the demonstration if there was one there. You don't even think about what you're doing until you look at the demonstration and try and work out the clue. Because there is a reason there is a demonstration there. Maybe they thought Lucy and Amelia were still in the race, so they had more time. <laughs> so, Gary and D'Angelo do get delayed going to the pit stop by a tree being knocked down. Then they check in and forth. D'Angelo describes Aparna as being super spicy and says, It's a race! And then Aparna and Ishwar checking in last, and they're actually allowed to talk. Yeah, they don't have the... They just say, oh, we're closer to siblings. Um, India, India, engineering, engineering Berkeley. Peace out. Just chill <laughs> till the next episode. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so talking of the next episode, teams fly to Manila, Phil fires a pistol, there's a race in stilettos, a memory challenge, and Will shouts at their driver to turn around. Is there a must-vote U-turn, Michael? Well... I did sort of allude to this in the in the preview. There was a strong rumour of a twist in the Manila leg. It was heavily rumoured to be a must-vote U-turn. If it was a must-vote U-turn at Final Four, I would have kicked off royally. It is not. It is instead what they describe as the first ever city sprint. A leg with no roadblocks, no detours, just the teams working together to try and get to the final three. I don't understand. Now, I have to ask, Mr. Saunders, is it the first time that there has been a leg where no roadblocks and detours have happened? No. In fact, it is very, very recent that they tried this for the first time. Very recent. It is, in fact, the third time that they have done this, because both 29's finale and the Bahrain leg in season 30 had no roadblocks, no detours, only active reinforcements. I had to look up if the task in Bahrain Bay, when they had that unaired task, if that was technically a roadblock, but I just looked it up and it wasn't. (laughs) Nope. It's literally just the third time that they've done this twist. It's not a new twist. And I'm sorry, but they can't get away with this. This one, there is really no way. You can't say. There's no roadblocks and no detours. Well, you can't just say it's a brand... You can't just decide you're starting that twist if you've already done it before unintentionally. Maybe because it's got a new name now, City Sprint. Yeah, but it's the same argument as the Mega Leg. That wasn't a new twist. It's a double-length leg rebranded. I understand. I understand. I'm just saying maybe they're saying it because they've got a name for it now. They had a name for it before. It was an all-active root info leg. Did they actually call it that? No, that's what I call it. No, exactly. They've got a name for it, a literal name. Just because they've now got a name for it doesn't make it a new twist. Well, no, I'm not saying it does. I'm just being facetious. It would be like if they said when Amy and Maya won, congratulations, Amy and Maya, we just realized there are things called all-female teams and you are the first all-female team to win the amazing race. Even though there's already two all-female teams who won before you, but we never coined the phrase all-female team until now. It's like going back to the start of this leg and going, this leg's going to feature the first mega U-turn. It's a U-turn where both slots will get used. <laughs> it's a mega U-turn, yeah. It's like, just because you've rebranded it doesn't make it a new twist. <laughs> I genuinely thought that Michelle was going to give you so much pushback on the on this. No, it's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they just don't th- stop to think for two seconds and realize, oh, yeah. We have done this before. They could say, they could start calling it a city sprint and say, this is the third ever city sprint. Only the third time in Amazing Race history are we doing this. They could have just said that, not, oh, this is a brand new twist, guys. That's never been done before. So that's why you should tune in for next week. Even better, the way to market it is not say it's the first ever city sprint. What they should market it with is teams cannot rely on one person. They have to work together perfectly to get to the final three. That's all you need to say. What's worse about this than the whole mega leg thing? It's okay. That last time they did something with that similar structure was season 14. Here, this is the third time in four seasons they're doing this twist. There's no reason for them to not remember that they've done this twice. Yeah, essentially you just cannot rebrand something and say it's a new twist. I'm sorry. Even someone far more casual than me would have a problem with that. This is, So this is the third time they've done this twist in 36 episodes. If it starts because it would be 30, 31, 32. Yeah, th- third time in 36 episodes they have done a city sprint. 
there's absolutely no excuse in my mind. It's just a marketing ploy. Yeah, it's trying to rebrand things that they shouldn't. So do you want to eulogize Ishwaranapana? They were a team on the race. I'm going to have to look into the record books because I'm curious. I Like Lucy and Amelia uh, made it to fifth place without ever finishing above fifth. Ishwaranapana made it to fifth place and only finished above fifth once. So I'm curious... If there's any other team that's in that same realm to have made it this far and not get a top three finish, because that's very difficult to do. It's funny you say that, because as you were talking about the uh, the city sprint, I was actually looking that up. Do you know who the last team to place fifth without placing in the top three was? Placed They placed fifth without being top three? Yeah. Is it recent? Mm, not for me, I would say. I wouldn't say it's recent. Okay, let me think. Kenton Vixen? No, it's uh, Ali and Ashley, who didn't actually place above fifth. Oh, that makes sense. 23. Okay. So it's been a while. And then the one before them was indeed Lucy and Amelia. Mm. I don't remember too much about Ali and Ashley. No, they're a very forgettable team, mainly because their storyline essentially revolved around Leo and Jamal. Who? Oh, God. (laughs) A team that's done 34 episodes of Amazing Race. So I know I've said this before this season, but this leg especially felt very stage-managed. There was no impetus for teams. As soon as they left the airport and got to the market, their transport was sorted out because they had the they had the Mark tuk-tuks and they had the Mark boats. The task just felt very cruise excursion-y, for want of a better term. It just felt very stage-managed to me. I was thinking about this because I was briefly chatting with Justin about... Cause I think Races Recap might be doing Amazing Race 2 in the future. And I was thinking, man, they had so many more options on what they could do back then in terms of just teams having a lot more freedom, and especially because I've been watching Race Across the World both seasons over the past uh, few weeks. I'm almost done Season 2. And I was thinking, man, just that wide expanse where the world is your game board. And then you, And then I was watching this episode and thinking, they're just so funneled through now. They're just pushed through a very... There's They can't deviate much. It's very difficult for them to deviate from the chorus. Don't get me wrong. I understand completely why, and it's, it's budget cuts. But as I said on Reddit earlier, just because you expect Amazing Race to be, let's be honest, a bit lazy production-wise, doesn't mean you accept it. There are far better shows with far smaller budgets out there. And I'm thinking of stuff like Race Across the World, where... Let's be honest, it's done on a shoestring. The biggest expense is flying teams to Mexico City in Series 2. Yeah, the grand prize The grand prize is really low too. Yeah, mm-hmm. the prize money is £20,000. And teams do not do it for the prize money, they do it for the adventure. What would that be, like 25000 US? Something like that, yeah. It's the equivalent of what the second place team get on Amazing Race. And it, it just feels like Amazing Race has lost the adventure. They've forgotten that this is meant to be an adventure travel show and just gone for the travel show and turned it basically to use an Australian term into a tiki store. I think it's because it's CBS, you know, pulling on the money. It's hard. Yeah, but there's, there's absolutely no excuse. Just because you have a smaller budget does not mean you can put your foot off the gas. And I'm thinking of shows like race across the world, which obviously we all love, but also the other shows we cover on this podcast hunted has a very low budget. The biggest expense is HQ. Both moles have far, far smaller budgets than you would expect. Belgian mole especially has a very, very small budget comparatively. And yet, for five seasons since they brought it back, they have excelled with what they've got to work with. And they do a lot of travel in that show, arguably not between countries, but they do a lot of travel and there is absolutely no excuse for just kind of half-arsing it and go, yeah, people will accept it no matter what, because people shouldn't accept it no matter what. Then it gets to the point of there being people online who say, I have to watch The Amazing Race because if it gets cancelled, I'm going to be really, like, people have, like, threatened with self-harm if Survivor Amazing Race were to go off the air for an extended period of time, that if they were told, oh, the show is over, there'll be no more seasons, that they would genuinely, like, their well-being, their well-being is on the line and that they've threatened to commit self-harm if either of these shows were to suddenly stop. So they're like, I have really? to watch it. Yes. Yes, people have said that. <laughs> Me and Mario Lance have wow. talked about this before. 
Well, well. In the same way that I like to point out that Beards are not a personality Riley and Madison, Amazing Race is not a personality fans. All right. Who do you think's going next week? We've got to wrap this up. I've got to go and have bacon and eggs. There's bacon waiting for me. But, Michelle, I still have points. No, I've got to go. Oh, my God. Not many, to be fair. I have one major point. You know how I talked about how short last leg was? Yes. This leg was about six and a half hours as well. Because assuming I got the right flight, arguably they don't do the same flight, but the flight time's about an hour and a half from Bangkok. They landed somewhere around about 11 o'clock in the morning, and sunset was 5.35. All teams checked in before sunset, therefore it was less than six and a half hours. Well, if I was a racer, I'd enjoy that. (laughs) It's not too taxing. Yeah, but as a TV viewer, going back to what I've just said, just because you expect it doesn't mean you accept it. People should be shouting from the rooftops that production are just half-arsing this show. That's my argument. And one other point that I want to cover is James and Will have been getting a lot of hate on social media. I know they've actually finally spoken out about this, about how it is, let's be honest, quite homophobic in in places calling them bitchy and things. For me, Riley and Madison are coming across worse than James and Will. And it was really noticeable in this episode where I just felt Riley and Madison were a little bit smug. I I had that word in my mind too, smug. That's the way I would sum it up as well. They're just coming across as being a little bit kind of, we're better than you. And it's just grinding my gears a little bit now. I'm sure they're lovely mm. people. Before I, before I get hate tweets, I'm sure they're lovely people. Just in the context of this show, especially this episode, they were coming across very smug. Because everything is going their way. And they're like, oh, well, Gary and D'Angelo, you turn each friend apart. We're just going to turn Gary and D'Angelo because we're rallying Madison and you can't stop us. Yeah. I just hope... And I'm, I can't believe I'm hoping on anything in the edit. I hope there is a downfall coming because they're coming across fairly smug. I don't think so. I think they're going through. I think either Gary and D'Angelo or Will and James are out next week. Gary and D'Angelo are going home next week. Not a question in my mind because they've hyped up the, the Paris three being the final three. And if you, if you didn't think that the three were going to work together, if, they, if you didn't think they were working together before... Boy, oh boy, are they going to work really closely together on the Manila leg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I recognize pretty much every location from the Manila leg that they showed in the preview. I'm like, hmm, I've been to that spot three times. I also happen to know that teams get sent to Rizal Park, where Phil does the, Phil does the, um, the starts pistol. And I believe that is also the pit stop of the leg. So it is literally just a, a circuit in the show. <laughs> And I'm sure we'll talk about that next week. One final bit of homework, because I know you've already kind of had this idea a little bit, Michelle. On social media yesterday, the Amazing Race official account run by the terrible interns who know nothing about Amazing Race, but that's another argument, did post asking for videos for a fan campaign asking what Amazing Race means to you. Yes. And as three non-Americans, we're obviously not eligible for this. No, I'm just a little bit cross with that so. I'm going to make my own damn video. So, a little bit of homework for you two. Could you send me what you would send to Amazing Grace, please? No way. Not for you to do things with it. No, I promise all I'm going to do is tweet it out from the RCV Warriors account, because I've already done one and I have actually emailed it to Amazing Grace already. But yours would be all meanness and badness. (laughs) Nothing nice. Nothing fun and good. Mine is not meanness and badness, Michelle, I promise you. I'm going to tweet mine out this week, and I want to tweet out yours as well. And let's be honest, mine's probably going to be bitchier than yours too, so yours oh. will actually balance mine out. <laughs> but is, is yours just voice, or is it is it picture? No, mine's video. Oh my god, you've done a video? I've done what they actually asked, and I have sent it to them, and I would put every penny I own on them not putting it in their fan campaign. <laughs> Of course it wouldn't. We're not American. We don't count. Not just because we're not American. It's the fact that CBS really hate me. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Because I tell the truth. <sighs> but yeah, if if you guys could could do that, that would be brilliant. Because I will then tweet them out during the week, um, and I think mine will actually make you laugh, Michelle. Ha! <laughs> will make me cringe. And one final challenge to end the episode, Michelle. Inspired by your last words to me last week. 
Can you say one bad thing about this season? Um, the Five Alliance really... Uh, look, I like alliances, but the Five Alliances really, the Five Alliance really killed it, the Mine Alliance, just in terms of that. If, if they had to do the things by themselves, I think the order would have been a lot different. I think we would have had different teams now. I don't think th- they wouldn't all have been different. I mean, there's some strong teams than what's left now. But, you know, I think Apana and the girls may have had a chance to be top four just because they sometimes get lucky. Not that they're strong teams, but they sometimes get lucky and they can do certain things. Cool. Have you got any negative things to say, Logan, to add to that? Uh, no, we covered pretty much everything today. Okay. So, thank you for listening to our Amazing Race 32 recap. We will be back next Sunday to recap the penultimate leg of the season. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are, RTV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at Luxofquacky. Michelle is on Twitter at Bear3323. And I am MJ Harmstone. Logan and I will also be back to continue Belgium Mole South Africa as we take on the episode we have most personal connection with in mole history this week on Thursday. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Peace out and just chill till the next episode and listen to me talk about Manila for an hour straight. Yeah, me and Michelle can just relax next week because we have nothing to say about Manila.